2024, year nine of Eternal Dirtles. N next on Eternal Dirtles. Shout out to all of our Patreon supporters out there. Thank you to the Dirtle Maniacs. If you want to be a Dirtle Maniac, go to patreon.com slash eternaldirtles and help support the channel. It keeps things going. It keeps things updated. Thanks so much for watching. On with the show. Oh, I shouldn't say the name, should I? <laughs> no, it's great. It's actually, that's that's perfect. <laughs> all right. I, I don't know what else I'd say. You're nine yeah. of this podcast. Yeah, no, no, it's it's great. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Zach, are we boomers now? I think we are uh, officially magic boomers. If you've been playing this game for, I think, over half a decade, you're considered a magic boomer. Um, so, yeah, no, uh, year nine, we're going it, we're rolling into 2024 with uh, year nine of this podcast. Uh, I think, I think we started in like March or something like that. So it's not our official start of year nine, but I like to, I like to just cut it off at the year and make, Make it so that you know everything. Everything evens out, nice and simple that way. Nice and um, simple. What 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 do you look forward to? Man, I don't know. I mean, we had such a strong year. This was easily the year, the the podcast strongest year. Um, what do we look forward to? I, I think playing more physical legacy, getting out there and and playing, possibly uh, you know even putting up some numbers. You know, uh, maybe hit a top eight or two. Maybe maybe we launch EternalDirtles.com. Maybe uh, we launched EternalDirtles.com. I think actually it already exists. Uh, we've already bought it. You can visit EternalDirtles.com. It has nothing on it right now. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I say launch. We, we can own it. I mean, launch it. Yeah. And then you can get all of your legacy hullabaloo on, that, on there. Yeah, maybe we'll try and centralize where you find all the legacy content in, maybe in we'll sort do of that. That, that area. Um. Yeah, so uh, I think one of the cool things we can do is, you know, because we've been using uh, Spotify for podcasters uh, for uh, like a little over a year, maybe two years or something like that, we have stats. We have like stats to share, which is, I, I don't know, I find that stuff fascinating. Um, and uh, so what some of these stats are, uh, we gained 52% uh, in listeners, 95% uh, streams i don't know what that even means uh plus 95 percent streams uh plus 41 percent followers i thought that was the same as listeners uh and we have this is the best part plus 277 percent minutes created that means we have produced almost three times the content that we did uh almost four times the content because 100 would be two times the content right yeah so almost it, it, four times the it, content Spotify told us that we posted 127 video episodes, which not it's not audio episodes. So, you know, ever since moving over to video and then putting it onto Spotify, where, you know, uh, because we do video and audio because people like to listen differently. That's why when you go onto Spotify, it literally floods your whole thing. Yeah, with like sorry. three different versions of us. <laughs> and we know about that. And we also don't like it. And Spotify won't let us do anything different. They also won't let us have a toggle so you can like turn it off or whatever it just exists there yeah and that's unfortunate because we want to be able to have everybody who wants to enjoy the show however they like to enjoy it enjoy it how they like so we leave it as is but we have heard that feedback and we also are amongst that feedback and we're hoping that in 2024 spotify also gives us the option to allow our listeners to toggle what they like to have come into their feed that way it doesn't just like sit there if you never listen to it yeah um, I guess, I guess, uh, we should also just thank all of our supporters to begin with, uh, everybody that's joined us on Patreon over the last few months. Uh, we had a downtick in Patreon as the pandemic happened. I think a lot of people decided that, you know, they, you know, they had to put their money in other places and whatnot. And to see people start to come back, uh, you know, we've got a couple people that reinstated their, their lapsed Patreons and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it, like I said, it's a small community, so it, it's great to see some of those folks back. And obviously all the support is uh, much appreciated because we do use it to try and make the podcast better. Uh, you know, which I think we can all agree that we have better been quality, doing. Better yeah. quality, worse opinions. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Same decks, better quality. <laughs> be be we, we, we look sharper on screen, but our takes are just as bad. Yeah. Uh, maybe next year we'll get Phil a Pac-Man suit. <laughs> Yo, I, I, I need to get the, what, uh, I get a Donkey Kong yeah. suit. Like Galaga, I think, uh, to do yeah, the like the, do the arcade too, yeah. smash up. 
Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So what, what were some other stats we got here? Uh, so the number of minutes created was 10.4 K, uh, created, uh, United States was our top country, which is no surprise. You know what our second country was, Phil? Uh, Sweden, Germany, Germany, Germany. I knew, I knew it was going to be somewhere in Europe. And then I think UK is after that. And then, and then it's either Sweden or Netherlands uh, is, is after that. Um, the legacy, you know, legacy sitting over in Europe, man, they, they, they love the content. They support the content all over. Yeah. We have, uh, I don't know what this means, but we have 37 top podcast fans. Uh, uh that means that 37, there are 37 people who listen out there that we are amongst their most listened to podcasts. Okay. So then there's, uh, we are the top five of 250. Oh, we are the top podcast and we are the number one podcast for 37 people. Uh, yeah. Then we're the top five for 257 people and the top 10 for 417 people, which honestly, Phil, I think our subscriber base on uh, like through podcasts is about the same as our top 10, which is pretty wild. I want to apologize for all of the ways that I've steered all of you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I regret nothing. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that that's, I, I, you know, I, I just want to have this like quick little episode to talk about you know, our stats and to thank everyone for, for listening and stuff and to kind of give ourselves like a, a touchstone so that we can look back on this next year and see, and see where we were. So, uh, you know, l- let's look at, uh, I think, uh, YouTube wise, uh, let's pull that up just so that we can have this, this moment in time here. Uh, YouTube has us at drum roll uh two uh uh 1285 subscribers uh so that's that's awesome uh All right, so our, for this episode next year what's the target this uh, uh let's say another thousand i think i think another thousand is a completely doable number uh so let's go with 2000 2285 all right i'm into it zach can we can we chat can we chat legacy for a, a little bit we should how do you feel Legacy stands after a year of it in 2023? I don't think Legacy's been this good for several years. Where where did you think that the the movement happened? I think the movement happened after Lord of the Rings. I think uh reintroducing black as a playable color in Fairdex uh was a big up for for the format. Even though maybe Bowmasters is not the most uh fun or uh you know healthy thing to be doing in the format. Uh it certainly allowed uh fair blue decks to uh, sorry, fair black decks to start playing magic again. Uh even if that was just a black splash for, you know, a Grixis Delver deck or, you know, uh throw it as uh, a splash in Death and Taxes, you know. I think that Orcish Bowmasters allowed people to start thinking again about playing black cards, uh which, you know, for the most part they weren't for the last two years, I want to say, two or three years. So uh, that, to me, uh, signals, uh, you know, being able to play all five colors again signals uh, a marked increase in uh, in the viability of a lot of de- different decks. For both cards and or decks slash archetypes, what do you think were the biggest gainers and losers of 2023? Well, I think, okay, losers? Uh, it's hard to say losers because there's always going to be that one deck that just like falls off the face of the planet. And so I guess like 100% in viability is it, you're going to be the biggest loser. But I think that that Delver decks as a whole took a big hit this year. Um, people were able to play fairer decks. Tempo tempo as a whole kind of dropped, dropped down a little bit. Is it still very good? Yeah, it's still very good. But I think tempo is less viable today than it was today last year uh i'm gonna do uh, i'm gonna check you a little bit here uh on what because uh, i think that the let's do the first quarter mm-hmm. let's see where we stood in the first quarter all right well that's figuring itself out you yeah. think so, so you think you, you think tempo was one of the biggest drops i think i think t- tempo overall was probably one of the biggest losers uh, as far as, uh, you know, like deck representation, uh, to win percentage, let's say. Zach, I think you and I lived in different 2023s, my guy. Yeah, unfortunately, we very much did. 
I was I, playing eight cast the entire time. You played eight cast the entire. I, I want to just uh, signal back to uh, how recent it actually was, even though it may have felt like it was a little while ago. Initiative was this year. Yes. So when it was the top two decks in the metagame in Initiative era was Blue Red Delver with Expressive Iteration mm-hmm. and Initiative. Yep. And then when both were gone, there was like a short heyday where people were like figuring themselves out. Then Lord of the Rings came in. And then Delver was right back on top again. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think Delver Delver dropped from the the number one played deck at all, but mm. I think that it lost percentage points. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't have those numbers, but that yeah. would make more sense. I think I think yeah. it's it's per, percent played to uh, dropped as well as its win ratio dropped. I think people are able to play more than just blue red Delver now. More than just blue red slash X Delver. Right now, people, I think the metagame opened up a bit because days got worse, basically. I think the big loser this year was days, and I still think we should ban that card anyhow. What do you think were the biggest gainers then? Biggest gainers. That's tough, man. I think the, the, like, the white, like the Boros initiative deck is probably one of the biggest gainers. Uh, Honestly, I mean, there's a bit of bias here, but I think... Uh, speaking a little early, I think Infect is one of the bigger gainers, but again, that's one of those things where it's like, it was at 0% and now it's at 1%, which is a a gigantic, uh, percentage increase, you know? Uh, but it's wild to think that a deck, uh, that, that deck is, is now playable in an era where when we looked at, you know, like the Renin 6 era where people were like, this deck isn't viable anymore, or even Orcish Bowmasters becoming a thing. Uh, and I always said the same thing. Uh, you can, you know, you can discount infect, but it, if you're just playing sorcery speed or two mana uh, answers to creatures, the deck knows how to deal with that stuff. Eternal Dirtles is proud to be sponsored by Moxfield. Moxfield is the best Magic the Gathering deck building website on the internet. You can create, share, and find decks from Commander to Legacy and even fan-supported formats like Premodern and Old School. You can see all of our decks on our Moxfield. Follow the links below to stay tuned. Yeah, I, I think Legolas's Quick Reflexes is still a card that's to be still room to be explored. Uh, clearly, it has done work in Infect for the people who are uh, strong at piloting that list. Recognize that it's very good. <clears throat> Excuse me. It posted a good result, not Infect, but Legolas's Quick Reflexes did post a top 32 at EW in uh, Selesnia Depths, which is pretty good. It also uh, then, got 19th place with Infect. Got 19 plays with Infect, yep. So that, that there, there's still space to be had there uh, where I think, you know, it's possible that it shows up as well in Cradle Control at some point because doing shenanigans with your Dryad Arbor of tapping and untapping to just like machine gun a board yep. is pretty good. I imagine that there's some other space that hasn't been explored about that of just like the tap-untap style effects just being able to plague wind an opponent. Yeah, I mean, the, the word whenever on a magic card is always like... You got to look at it a couple times, you know? Whenever this creature becomes tapped, it deals damage to it equal to its power to some other creature. Like, yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to throw back to a, a little bit, if we can remember correctly, how our uh, 2023 went down. That expressive iteration early on was the pseudo... Everybody was like, this is too much. It's too much. It's just too and too much. And then initiative came in, and we had a two-deck format. However... During that time, similar to previous times where there's been uh, clearly tier zero decks, there's typically the one outlier that is not in tier zero that just happens to be quite good against the strat that is at the top and therefore is also in the top decks. So one of my favorite examples of this is when Ragavan was, Ragavan was in the format uh, and that meant that D&T was a lot better. Yeah, And so DNT was arguably one of the best decks during the Ragavan era, even though I don't think you would call it a tier one deck. I think it became one of the best performing decks because it was so good at exactly beating up on a two one yeah. that didn't have any good flips off of the uh, top of the opponent's deck. But you had to play Ragavan if you wanted to keep up with the actual tier decks in the format. And so... Death and Taxes sort of like snuck in as like a very powerful thing. It was a very similar space when Renin 6 was in the Delver list and, you know, people were just getting stripped out. And if the game progressed even, you know, any amount of time. And so that was the tier zero deck. And it just so happened that the one thing that Renin 6 was bad against was Storm, 
And so Storm was, yeah. even though I wouldn't have called it like tier tier zero, it was the best deck and it won that GP in the hands of Cyrus Corman Gill. So, so you're saying all that to say what is now the best deck in, in, so, that, in regards to that situation? In the front half of 2023, you had Expressive Iteration Delver and Mono White Initiative as the best decks. And you know what was very good against Mono White Initiative? Storm? Cephalid Breakfast. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Cephalid Breakfast. So, yeah. so Breakfast was crushing crushing during that era it was i mean it was a fine deck on its own but it was so good against exactly the decks that were trying to be like okay i have a sorcery speed uh card advantage spell whatever kill you Mm -hmm. or i have this i'm going to put this you know untouchable uninteractable thing into play well i happen to be a creature combat uh a, a creature combo deck that can kill you out of nowhere if you're not prepared for it or can take the initiative and protect it fairly uh, well, and the second that you take it back, kill you. Yeah. So it had very good matchups against the top two decks and was one of the best decks, even though I don't think anybody would have been like, like if you went into that, into that, if you look six months ago and we're like, what were the best decks? You'd be like, well, it's clearly Delver with EI and clearly Mono White Initiative, and it's not close. Yeah. And then beneath that, you have Cephalid Breakfast, which is good against those things. And then you had like the Uro Minskin Boo piles. Speaking of which, Minskin Boo, nowhere to be found. Uro. Sort of fallen off the 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 those we decks a little bit because we were calling for bans on Uro like not I, not here, more than a year ago. You know, I, it's I, wild. I I want to I want to just put the put the the caveat in there. My stance is just because the card doesn't see play doesn't mean that it should get the pass on getting you looking. I, there there are a bunch of cards that I think are 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 that make the format net worse, and I think Uro is one of them. Even though. Uro seeing less play. I don't think that's the fault of like Uro isn't as powerful. I think the bottlenecks on the format are so condensed at the moment that Uro is pushed out of the format yeah. the way that Uro pushed a bunch of other things out of the format when it wasn't bottlenecked out, uh, out of the format. So just because it's not the most powerful thing now doesn't mean that it like suddenly, oh, it, maybe it was healthier than we thought. It was never healthy. I, I will go a step further than that and say just because it's been power crept out doesn't mean it's good design now. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so like similarly, like I don't think Minskin. I, I think Minskin Boo and Initiative were sort are sort of in the similar space where it's like they were designed to fight in a format across four players with 120 life. Yeah. And if you just think mathematically on how that works, okay, there are three additional players and five times the amount of life in the game. So just like how much more aggressive those cards need to be pushed in order to compete in that format. To come down into one v one, so you know the same way. Like I don't think Minskin Boo is good for the yeah. format, but you know, so likewise. But all that is to say, just, I also want to pour one out for Staff of the Storyteller. Yeah, short lived, super short lived. All star you know, for all uh, star for just a moment. Yeah, people were trying. People were trying to make that make that world work, and we were we were so close. But such as such as the way of the world with a card that actually has a mana gate. Yep. Uh, because now we have up the beanstalk. Yep. Yeah. So, and- uh, if if I were to say 2023 uh, was the year of, I would say it would be the year of the Beanstalk. I think Beanstalk, obviously Beanstalk is insane. But I think, too, that that means that, okay, yes, Beanstalk is one of the bigger gainers, which means that Leyline Binding is a bigger gainer. And particularly Merktide Regent is the bigger gainer. Uh, and there's like a couple of other cards in that space. But I also think that one of the biggest gainers because of all this is specifically uh, painter decks. And when I say, <clears throat> excuse me, painter decks and Boros Initiative, I think are both two extremely strong decks because incidentally, those are decks that are happy to play Blood Moon effects. And Blood Moon effects happen to be something that is very good against the best decks in the format, which I think are Days Wasteland, uh, Murktide Regent, and... Leyline Binding, Beanstalk, Murktide Regent. Yeah. I think that those those shells are the two best shells in the format. And both of those shells are do kind of poorly against uh, Magus of the Moon and its ilk. And But the thing is, is that both of those decks do not allow each other to not be forced into the space where Blood Moon is good against, is bad against them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yep. like, if you want to play Beanstalk, you got to have the shitty mana base to support Leyline Binding, which means you got to walk into... Uh, Blood Moon effects. 
And then for Delver, in order to like keep pace with each other in the in the race of like we have to be streamlined because you can't miss a beat because the second you do a Merktide comes down and a Merktide one shots you, so you have to also be as fluid as possible there. And then you get chucked by Blood Moon effects. So they co- they sort of compel each other to like stay in the lane of being soft to Blood Moon. Yeah. And then on the side of those two decks, I think the other biggest gainer continually and forever will always be Urza Saga. Urza Saga yeah. at the beginning of the year, my guy. That was your. That was you. Yeah, you I was crushing, on it. You were crushing. I was on it. Man. I was doing really good. Uh, w- you know, whenever I played in a side event, <laughs> see side wow, event and boss t-shirts. He's, he's got to bring this up every time. <laughs> every time we talk about side events, he's got to be. I like, crushed in side events. I I just did not do great in main events. Uh, he's always got to talk about how he, he beat me in the finals. Everybody, yeah. he'll never let me forget it. <laughs> we were fighting for the top prize. Look, I said man, no splits. All you have to do is beat me in the finals of another side event. I said no splits because splitting is quitting, and then he crushed me. Ugh. And then, and then we took those spoils and we and we gave them to and gave them to the viewers. We gave them uh, back to the viewers, and we we gave them back to the viewers for like eight months. Yeah, it was <laughs> like I still have like two or three of those cards. I gotta like figure out what to do with them. Uh, you know what? We're giving them out on on this episode. Uh, wow. Comment comment below. Give me my stuff. And, uh, comment, and comment comment below on what you think was the biggest winner and biggest loser, whether it's card perfect. archetype, deck, whatever that is. Uh, because I, I think like things move so fast now that like these were just the cards and decks that like I recall being insane. But I was also looking at uh, they were insane through like my lens as a bad miracles pro. Yeah. Like I, they, there might be things that I'm totally forgetting about in the world of like you know the you you and all the other Urza Saga players that are just like yeah. Before, you know, before we were just, who nobody gave a shit about Patchwork Automaton. And then we started playing Patchwork, and that was great. And now Patchwork is too slow because it doesn't do anything because you just get comboed or whatever. Yeah. You know? It's funny, um, when, you, when you look at the, the, the arc of, of Urza Saga this year, where we had, we started off with 8-cast being a pretty strong deck. And then we go into, uh, you know, you get to SCG uh, Baltimore and Tony Scaponi's, uh, you know, Black Saga Storm. Is the thing, and then uh, and patchwork gets gets pretty heavy, and we're seeing people make a more stompy style uh, eight cast deck, and then people just are like, you know what, I've had it. We're gonna play three meltdowns. I'm splashing for meltdown, you know, and and the deck is, I, I would say right now is at its all time lowest. I don't even think it's on the on the uh, goldfish uh, like top ten at this point, uh, so which means. That- People are going to start skewing. People are going to start skewing their uh, meltdowns. It might be time to pick that up again, guys. I I would argue at this point that the decks in Legacy are so powerful in terms of like the shells around them, and so redundant that there's way fewer times where the deck a deck just like gives you a moment to breathe. I, the, like if if I would say anything. The it, it feels as though Legacy is a little bit more asthmatic in that there isn't any breath. The game starts and then the you can't stumble. No, never. You cannot stumble at all. Which I think is why you start seeing things like three meltdown plus for like any decks where if you have a haymaker, you play way more of them. I remember we talked about this a, a couple of episodes ago where we were like, "How close is Legacy to just getting to the to the same process of?" how you have to sideboard similar to vintage yeah. where like you just have to have these gigantic haymakers that, and a lot of them in your sideboard and just essentially like, you know, craft out your, your, your cards as many as you can to be like, okay, this is for artifacts. Okay. This is for, you know, whatever. And you need, you need the hard thing because if you don't find it, you still die the same way that it's like, if you don't have enough, you know, graveyard hate against bizarre and vintage, you just die to it. Even if yeah. it's in your deck, because you, you, need, to have, see... you need to have enough of it. And you need to have a density of it in order to get through permission. Yeah, we're going to see de- uh, sideboards that are like four ley line, four choke, uh, <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. Right, right. Yeah. I think that I think that's our trajectory. You know, you know who I think the biggest loser was this year, Phil. In truth, me. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it it you you could you could put an argument up there uh, to that that you didn't you didn't have a great year, but I think the budget player uh, had had their worst year. Um, cause you know, we start out thinking, Hey, you know, death shadows back. We got orcish bowmasters, right? But what, what the truth was, Phil, is that people just played scam instead. 
people were like, no, I'll just jam another $3,000 worth of dual lands into my deck and I'll play the better version of Death Shadow, right? Um, so you couldn't find those budget decks. And because right now, like, like I was saying before, that, honestly, I think fair Ancient Tomb decks that aren't initiative are probably at their worst right now. Um, it's just a bad year for, for budget players. And I think it, it, it's going to be interesting when we do our budget episode at the beginning of the year, uh, what we decide to look at for, for budget options, because like, you know, in previous years, we've, you know, we've leaned on eight cast. We've leaned on death shadow because their mana bases are at least reasonable. Um, you know, and we've looked at decks like, uh, you know, show and tell and stuff like that, that don't need the dual lands. But I think, you know, the more we talk about it, the more I think that the budget player gets left behind in this format. Uh, thankfully, people like uh, Buffalo Chicken Dip, the, my local uh, Dark Depths Games, uh, several other places are proxy friendly. And I think, you know, as, as players, we need to support the those stores that are doing proxy friendly legacy for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, eventually you, when you want to play in a big event, uh, you know, you need, you need, you need the real thing. So again, shout out to people who lend cards. Uh, you know, uh, that's, that's a huge, huge factor. It was the reason why I could play, uh, in fact, this, this year at, uh, Eternal Weekend. Yeah. I think that they, the, uh, land cyclers like Troll and, uh, so, like, you know, I think Reanimate was a huge gainer in the format just because yeah. it opened up. Like, I mean, obviously, like, Black became ubiquitous because Bowmasters has no downside to it whatsoever. And the troll made it so that Reanimate was just like a real easy, you know, three turn clock on the, on the, on turn one of the game or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think, like, you know, what were the, the, are the two top budget decks going into at the beginning of the year were eight cast, which is still totally reasonable. Yeah. I mean, you have to you have to it's be over prepared for the for, sure. for for hate, but it's still totally reasonable to play because you know you put twelve power into play on turn three on the play with it's just a not full the grip plus a tutor. top three deck that it was at the beginning of the year. Well, yeah, I mean, Bowmasters also is is going to be punishing against it. Also, players recognize that like they needed to have direct and you know respectable answers to it. So you saw uh you you just saw the deck being respected. Yeah, and then. The the way the moves that eight cast seemed to make did not necessarily pivot away from solving <laughs> no. what was boarded in against them. So you know, moving towards like you know Kappa Cannoneer and being a little bit more like a stompy beatdown, like that was not conducive to still being able to beat a meltdown. Yeah, you know, like so like it, it, there there wasn't a, a real pivot there. Uh, you know, I don't know if it if it wasn't explored because there was just other new things and interesting tools to do. I mean the the one ring you know, Ancient Tomb PO deck, you know, is around. I mean, the, in, in the Commander era that we live in of cards, the biggest gainers every year, we haven't quite talked about it yet, but the biggest gainers every year, I think are always going to continue to be uh, Urza Saga and by extension, uh, Ancient Tomb and by extension, Chrome Mox. Yeah. I think Chrome Mox has got, has over the last year between getting Beseech the Mirror for Storm Combo and for all of the other combo decks that play Beseech, uh, and the uh, initiative decks, whether it's, uh, or, or, I mean, ancient tube decks, whether it's initiative, whether it's the addition of uh, Chrome Mox in Goblins, like Chrome Mox is the additional uh, branch amongst the ancient tomb Stompy-esque whatevers. And the more and more power that we get from the commander products of, of single pit three drops, the better ancient tomb is going to get. And therefore the better Chrome Mox gets alongside of it. So, you know, if ancient tomb is guest on, Chrome Mox is LeFou. <laughs> sure, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I want to uh, I want to watch this space for a second. Uh, the, uh, so we lost a lot of designers for Magic uh, in the last like month, you know, in the last couple of days even. Uh, I think Watsi had to liquidate eleven hundred workers. Uh, a lot of those were probably had high to. level. Yeah, I mean, had, look, had, th that quote, is quote. that is complete bullshit. Quote. And of course, Chris it's Cox bullshit. should uh, should just get out of here. What are you doing? Um, that's ridiculous. Um, but uh, you know, reality being what it is, and, and you know, those people are gone now. They're looking for new jobs. I wonder if when we get to the a time when the cards have not been designed by that swath of people who came in, and I'm not saying 
card design is amazing right now. It's it, it's middling at best. Um, but I wonder if it drops even more and we see even more turmoil in Legacy uh, as a result of that as new blood comes into the game. Oh, how do you mean? I, I Either through either... So, you know, I don't know what's ideal, honestly. I don't know because... It, it You know, the monkey paw curls every time I talk about this stuff. But, you know, there was a point in time, let's call it Khan's era, when I got into Legacy. Every time a set came out, I wanted to see more cards that were playable in Legacy. And Khan's was a good example of there were several great cards for Legacy. You know, you got Treasure Cruise. Fetchlands came out, uh, were, were reprinted and stuff. And that was all good. Um, but for the most part, you know, if you look at our past set reviews, we have 20, 30, 40 cards on our set reviews. That was not always the case. You know, you got 10, 15, sometimes only five cards in a set review that was like, oh, these cards could be legacy playable. And um, so I think, do we want cards, you know, when I say the monkey paw curls, do we want more cards or less cards to be playable in legacy ultimately? I, I don't know. But what I do know is that there are there's good design and bad design, right? Um, and I would consider uh, cards like uh, like the One Ring is probably not great design, but it's passable. Whereas like uh, Beanstalk is probably bad bad card design. You know, like that's that's giving that's giving every you're getting every part of the buffalo for free. You know. Um, there's no build around for that. You don't even have to be playing green, you know, like there's no, you could just splash green so that you can play that card, you know? And I think if, if we look at the, at TK's deck, like what were the green cards in that deck aside from Beanstalk? Were there, you know, like, let's, let's find out real fast. Uh, so I, I, I think I can sort of sum up what you're saying in a, a, a a tighter soundbite that let me know if this is, is, is where you're going for, going for on it. Because the what I hear when you're saying that, and where I think too is, uh, if we ever got any of the designers in in on the cast post their you know NDAs or whatever are lifted, the one thing that I would want to ask them, and if, you know, similar if we ever go back to a Magic Con and get to ask the uh, designers on stage when they do their Q and As like we did this past mm -hmm. year, is what is the rationale for having to pay off somebody? for playing the card immediately. So the one thing that I've noticed is that the difference between the era that you're talking about, which is, you know, we all have this fond rose tinted view of past eras. I'm not saying that but, was a good era. I'm just saying like, I, I, that, I'm saying, that was I, my I, I, intro. I'm saying you know? whether or not we can accurately remember them or not, doesn't matter in the moment. Sure. What, I, what, I, what I'm suggesting is that the card designs now that make it, make it because they pay you off immediately. Yeah regardless of anything else happening. So, and, and this came up to mind recently when they were talking about the new spoilers for Ravnica Remastered and they're reprinting Dark Confidant with new art. And if you saw the post on yeah. on Twitter where they shared it, but there were younger players that, yeah. that are on Twitter that were following the, the stuff that didn't play during an, the era where we played when Dark Confidant was a playable card. Yeah. And comments underneath it were like, why doesn't this card do the effect on ETB also. Yeah. It's also funny, they were like, Phil, is is that that card asks the same of Beanstalk as far as deck building restrictions, right? You don't want to have a bunch of high casting cost cards in your deck for Dark Confidence. So you are restricted in, in some manner by playing the card, but it doesn't have the ETB, right? And I think that's the all the difference in the world. So I'm saying, when when I was mentioning before how there isn't any room to breathe in the format. It's because every card, this, the moment that it is played, feels as though it is paying off the person for playing yeah. it immediately, which means that there is no time. You have no time. It is already converted, mm -hmm. right? The only card in the format that I think is left that doesn't like convert immediately, something is exactly Delver. Delver. Yeah. Right. And that, but that's also the minimum possible investment you <laughs> yeah. could make. Right, it's 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 a one drop in blue, and it's backed by days and all the all the cheap stuff, and it's part of this you know the best shell of the last thirty years. So it's like okay, I I think like if you look at any of the cards now, if it didn't give you all of the stuff right up front, 
Like if there was some amount of, I have to invest at all, and then maybe I can convert. And if I can convert, it's a big deal. But like, imagine that difference, right? The people who are looking at Dark Confidant being reprinted, having never played with the card. And the first thing that they're thinking about is, man, this sucks. It doesn't do anything when it ETBs. Why doesn't it do the effect when it ETBs yep. and then every upkeep thereafter? Now, can you imagine that if, if Dark Confidant did that on ETB in the era where it was good, it would have been broken. It would have been banned. But like there was when talk of banning Dark... it dur during during like modern era, like when it, when modern had to ban and like blood like what Bloodbraid Elf and stuff, they would have banned uh, Dark Confidant in a second during that. I'm just saying that like the the opportunity cost that they put on things, whether it's Omnath Omnath drawing a card plus doing everything else, meaning that who cares if it dies or not, mm -hmm. whether it's up the beanstalk drawing the card immediately instead of doing anything else, like. When you're designing that card up the beanstalk, it's okay. Yeah, you want to draw the card because you want to ensure that players can reasonably hit their land drops so they can actually cast five drop spells on time. Now, they didn't test it, you know, for constructed. They admitted to that. Okay, you 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 missed your shot on goal here. But it's interesting that, like, the, the, the concept is like, okay, we're going to have this draw a card on ETB instead of, I don't know, ETB scry two. So you can find your additional land drop or find the five yeah. drop that you want to be able to cast later. And, and But, like, the difference between that is so massive yeah in terms of how much it lets the game breathe because net like it, that, that that's like the one thing like every time i've played recently whether it was at ew scg pit before that like all of the events every time i sit down to play it feels as though i'm holding my breath until the game ends there's just never and, a and second you, and you can <laughs> right but like that, that's the, the the one area where it's like I get that like they're designing for arena and they're designing for commander and so they have to have like they want to be able to pay off players for being able to do the thing because you know the the last thing they want is for a new player to come in and they try their game and then you have to wait a turn for your thing to do something and then you're bored and so you leave right you want to be like all all the stuff's got to do all the stuff all the time and I I wonder if that has if, if what the actual like this is my interpretation of what that must be like yeah. where they're going, we need to ensure that players stick around. And in order to do that, we have to stimulate them. And in order to stimulate them, they can never not have anything to do. So cards coming in all have to be able to generate some amount of other amount of cardboard. So you can do other things with them, or they have to have some kind of value to be playable that way that like you always have things to do. And that's how it reads to me, yeah. but I'm not a good, I'm not a designer. So well, I would love to learn on their end where they're going, we think that all these cards need to have these ETBs and do something immediately because blank so, and, and see if it actually lines up with my understanding. So two things. Uh, there are nine cards in TK's deck. Five of them are in the sideboard. Four of them are in the main deck that are green. So like I said, I'll guess. there's no... I'll, I'll, I'll guess off the top of my head. Veil of Summer's in the sideboard. Nope. Carpet of Flowers is in the sideboard. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Two, two, sorry, there are Obviously, uh, 11. Uh, Go Obviously, on. up the beanstalk is in the main board. Yep, and uh, that's it. Deed and Leovold. Oh, deed. Yeah, yeah. Deed and Leovold. Right, right, right. Yeah. But uh, okay. So to to your point about uh, players getting bored and stuff like that, Rosewater a long time ago wrote this article, which is like, it's such a kick in the mouth to like anyone anyone who would read it because who reads magic design articles, Phil? People interested in card design. And people who play magic. It is a Venn diagram of literally like this amount of people. So literally enfranchised magic players, right? Can we agree on that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Enfranchised magic players read this man's blog. That's the only people that read this man's blog. Uh, so his this article was basically saying, um, as a game designer, F your enfranchised players only work to get new players because enfranchised players are there. They're stuck. They don't have any choice. What are you going to do? Stop playing magic, you know, to, in so many words, you know, um, but uh, that, that 100% goes with, with what you were saying is that uh, enfranchised players uh, will accept the, these, you know, these, you know, up the beanstalk mistakes, whatever I'm going to, you know, uh, but getting somebody interested in your game is a little harder nowadays. Phil, there are a lot more games to play uh, in 2024 I, than there were in 1993. I don't know if you know so, this or not. So the, I, I think the thing that I struggle to reconcile with that, which is why I would love to talk to like the designers that were actually there in the room, <laughs> is if they're like, okay, 
you know, if if you look at a card like Up the Beanstalk as, you know, a quintessential uh, problem child in this space, right? Like it pays you off immediately. It is a snowball effect that isn't managated. It is, it, it, it warps everything. Like it, it warped an entire format to the point where it got banned. And now it's also a, a, a pillar of legacy. And there are a bunch of cards that are playable solely because Beanstalk exists, yeah. right? Like when Leyline Binding, uh, everybody loves making the joke, Leyline Binding, it was a joke at the beginning of the year when they, you know, clearly <laughs> didn't know what was going on in the format and mentioned it. And then up the Beanstalk comes out and now Leyline Binding is a four of that's just EW, yeah. right? But like, it's not like Leyline Binding suddenly got good. It's because up the Beanstalk was a mistake, yeah. right? Now, the, the difference though, that, you know, when he's saying, you know, if you make mistakes or whatever, I think there's a difference between you taking a shot on goal that you knew you were taking a shot, right? Mm-hmm. But like, if you admit to not testing up the beanstalk and constructed what that means is you didn't put a shot on goal you stumbled and accidentally the goal went over the goalkeeper's head and happened to bounce around and go behind the line phil i would love to see what we said about up the beanstalk when we reviewed it because we definitely called it out i i remember putting it up there and being like this could be a card you want to know? I, I I remember it. And I was like, I remember thinking that it wasn't going to be good enough. I, I was definitely not a believer. But I was not a believer because I did not think that people would just be like, oh, yeah, let's just throw in triumphs. Yeah. And it just won't matter. But the, the thing that I didn't think to was like, oh, what it actually is going to do is effectively condense the control decks to become closer to Delver than we think. Yeah. Because now they are Merktide plus dot decks. And instead of Days Wasteland, they're just leyline binding up the beanstalk. And so, like, instead of like limiting the opponent's uh, resources with Days in Wasteland and compressing them, they're just like, whatever, I can just spew all of my resources because I'll never run out of them. Right? But the, just the a bigger payoff, cage. It's just a bigger cage. The payoff cage. is the same. The payoff is yes. the same. The payoff is still <laughs> Murktide, right? Yeah. Murktide becomes the gainer in both spaces because it, it fulfills the plus five mana requirement, but really is two mana. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think we've summarized a good a good amount of what what the year, you know, what how the year started, how the year ended, right? Zach, I'm going to contend you there because I don't think we've summarized anything at all. <laughs> like, I I think we're we're wells away from that. But but I, I what I, what I, what I think this year did do mm. beyond like the beyond the, the the nightmare addition to the format that is initiative, and uh, the like the compounding of EI getting banned and then Delver remaining on top as with all of the other previous. So like, you know, history repeating itself, the addition of black cards to the format. I am curious for 2024 to see if uh, Orcish Bowmasters can hold its rank in 50% of decks. I'll be curious to see what additional one drop tutors uh, or valuable one-drop tutors, Urza Saga gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll be curious as to how much more powerful Ancient Tomb becomes with additional Commander product releases. I in, in, wholeheartedly in similar, agree with all, all of those uh, wonders. And then and now, in in the same way that we've always had to think about, like we, we've, we've mentioned previously where it's like, okay, every single one-drop artifact that you look at, you have to now look through the lens of Urza Saga, right? So... Every one drop artif- one or zero mana artifact is inherently more powerful because of the context of Urza Saga, right? Yes. Similarly, every single card that may or may not have a mana reduction that costs five or more, you have to look at it through the lens of if their text box also said draw a card. Yeah. And that is going to change how we look at set reviews. Because now, when we look at a five drop, if they're like, this card costs two less if you blah, blah, blah. We go, okay, would we pay three mana for this if it also drew a card? Because that's the lens that we're going to have to look at yeah. it through because that's the lens, that's the context in which it exists. So when Karlov Manor comes out, it'll be an interesting set design for us to now look at, okay, the pillars of the format make it so that all of these other cards in context, because the best cards by themselves do stuff with other stuff. Yeah. Phil, uh, one last question for you. Um, you have to pick one of the clue characters that's going to be playable in Legacy. Who do you choose? Bro, I'm already trying to look at Alquist fucking Prophetophilus or whatever his name is. No, I'm that... talking about like Colonel Mustard. They're, they're making a clue version. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw of, those. So, they're, so... They're, they're already spoiled, dude. You want to look are, at them? Are they? Yeah, dude, they're spoiled. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. 
I right, say gonna, Professor Plum. We're going to close this episode by looking at the clue spoilers and, oh, and assessing them right it. now. All right, let's do it. I'm going to go right to the right to the source here. Murders a clue, but it says clue first look, right? So you got Senator Peacock. Uh, Senator Peacock is a 3-4 three, for four, uh, three and two blue legendary creature, human advisor, artifacts you control are clues in addition to their other types and have the clue ability, sacrifice to draw a card by paying two. Uh, whenever you sacrifice a clue, target creature can't be blocked this turn. Okay. Colonel Mustard. Uh, Commander Mustard, I should say. He's got yeah, hold a, on. S- he's s- got... S- send me this link so I'm looking at the same. I've seen all these, but send me the link so I'm looking at the same stuff. Looking right here. Coming coming in hot. Boom. Uh, so, uh, Commander Mustard is a 5-5 five five with Vigilance for three, a red, and a white. And it is a human soldier. Other soldiers you control have Vigilance, Trample, and Haste. I don't like that. Uh, and then you can pay uh, two, a red and a blue, a red and a white, sorry. Uh, until in turn, soldiers you control gain whenever this creature attacks, it deals one damage to defending player. Okay, so it gets like a hell, the Hell Rider uh, text. Uh, after that, I don't see any... Oh, so we got... The Master Sleuth. Okay, so we've only gotten two of the uh, actual Clue characters. Hold on. I remember them being re- revealed because I remember looking at them. None of them are, none of them seem playable, but I also missed on every other card this year. So Yeah. <laughs> but those are the, I mean, at least according to Scryfall as of today, those are the uh, only two uh, actual characters. There's the lead pipe, too. What do you think the... What do you think the most playable... At, let's, let's not worry about what these cards read as. Right now, Phil, what do you think the most playable room, weapon, and uh, and character from Clue will be? Uh, my guess is whichever one is best with Ancient Tomb. Uh, and then in terms of the best room, uh, it'll be whichever one makes your stuff uncounterable. <laughs> How about it's, it's, then just, in, it's just uh, like the, what is it, the, uh, the, not the laboratory, the garden or whatever what the fuck damn it what are those things called uh there's like uh the observatory or something like that uh but they're just legendary duel lands oh you (laughs) think they're just gonna make legendary duels could you imagine they make legendary duel lands but it's a it's a universes beyond product (laughs) just infinitely pissing off like so many people (laughs) dude i don't know i mean that's the way you if you want people to buy product right yeah you're that's, like, how, that's how you're gonna do it. It was, it was uh, Colonel Mustard with the lead pipe in the uh, in the basement or whatever, <laughs> in the in the in the foyer, and the foyer is a uh, is a uh, legendary Badlands. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I, I think like it, if we don't get, I mean, I guess rooms are just gonna be lands, right? But like, I guess you could have a like land room. Yeah, and apparently then they've works, already works. made them. Uh, the dining room is as a gruel enters the battlefield tapped that you can tap for it and investigates. So there goes that uh, as far as a fun thing that they could have done to just in, really just rage out the grognors. <laughs> I mean, hey, man, I'll take I'll take whatever I can get to keep up in this uh, metagame where, you know, I, I, I'm totally lost. So, yeah. If we well, can get some, if we can get some new action that can, you know, breathe some life that isn't just uh, powering up the the same twenty cards, that'd be sweet. Yeah, it would be. It would be cool to just see, uh, like, could they ever make it so that so that like clue tokens are, are relevant? I feel like they're gonna try. Dude, I, I look at cards. So they in of the new spoilers already for Karlov Manor. They're like you know lead. Uh, their lead legendary character is just Magus of the Sphinx's revelation. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it <is. laughs> it, it's exactly the kind of shit that I would love to play if it didn't have all of the stats that just line up exactly against never getting to do it in Legacy. Oh, yeah. So, like, first off, it costs three mana, get dazed. Then it's get, a 3-3, three, so three, get bolted. Right. <laughs> and then uh, the, the draws ETB cards, is it, get orked. <laughs> so yeah, so it's so it's it's one white blue for a three three with vigilance, and it's it's Alquist Proft, 
when it enters the battlefield, you investigate, which means that you have to pay mana to draw your card. And then you can pay even more mana and sack a clue by paying Sphinx's Rev mana. And then you draw, you you just Sphinx's Rev by sacking yeah. a clue. And then your opponent's uh, like, hold on, I'm going to flash in Orcish Bowmasters. Well, on the bright side, all they get is a giant guy because you gain life when you draw cards. So that at least you're not getting killed. Uh, yeah, I guess that, that, is, uh, that is true. You offset one of the 12 things that Orcish <laughs> Bowmaster does. <laughs> yeah. But it, it like it, yeah, it's so you it's so interesting. Drew like, sorts of plowshares and those like five cards you drew, dude. I, you I had eight that, man like, in this format somehow. I I don't know where they like you know how you actually determine you know where in a set you're gonna put like your three drops versus your two drops versus your four drops and like how you're gonna line up the numbers and whatnot. They don't but, either. Like, if Alquist Proft was just blue white for a bear that had the same abilities. You know, then then we're talking, right? Now, now you know, we can actually start thinking, like, huh, maybe there's some interesting space here. Yeah. But it's like, even in modern, like, this card would be so sweet. But the thing is, is that for three mana, you can also put, you know, ten, <laughs> ten power of rhinos into play. You can cast or... uh, Sahili Rai and uh, do the Flinter Twin thing with uh, Feldar Guardian. <laughs> also, it's in two colors, and, like, you could just play the One Ring, and the One Ring draws cards better than it, this does, because exactly. it doesn't require any mana. and. Yeah, so th- there's so many things where it's like, this card is so cool and it'll never see the light of day, you know? I, I just want to be able to be, uh, like, I'll never play Rakdos, Patron of Chaos for six mana, but I just want to, like, put into play and, like, trigger people by being like, Rakdos, Patron of Chaos. Yeah, yeah, you just gotta just <laughs> throw them totally off, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I think uh, that, you know, that th- this is uh, probably our second to last episode for the year. Uh, maybe we might have two, one or two more episodes in, in the holster, but I wanted to thank everybody for watching. Uh, again, if you can support us, go to patreon.com slash eternal dirtles. We're going to put all that money towards, uh, you know, towards, uh, making the podcast better and, um, and hopefully launch a site, man. Let's, yeah. let's, let's, yeah, let's, 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 let's make this community a website, right? Uh, and then finally, uh, you know, Hey, have, have a good a good holiday, a great new year, and um, and take care of yourselves, everyone. Thanks for watching. For the gift that keeps on giving all year round, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash eternaldirtles. And hey, check out this playlist we got up here with all of our interviews over the last couple of years. Some great people from the Legacy community, some really great guests.